1: KYA is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life while with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Today's episode of Hey YA is our 100th episode. Welcome to Hey YA, from great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptions, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by yours truly, Erica Azafetti and the fabulous Kelly Jensen. We are recording on August 16th, 2021. Hello hey
0: hey how are you i'm doing all right how about you i'm doing pretty okay myself
1: you know i'm hanging in there
0: this is episode 100 which is sort of mind-blowing to me like this started so long ago and has just evolved in really cool ways and i'm so glad that we get to share this like huge podcast milestone
1: yeah, that's pretty amazing. I like that I entered like at ninety nine and I'm here for one hundred. So yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool to think about a podcast kind of like in adolescence, right? It changes and it evolves like as you go through years, and just your topics evolve and the things mm-hmm. that you are interested in, and it's influenced both by what the podcast hosts are interested in, but also what audience what listeners are really interested in and what they respond to. So it's been neat to do a hundred episodes and be like, okay, here's what I'm interested in, but yeah. with audiences love it. And then sometimes you're just like, you know what? I've been asked a lot for books about this topic or that mm-hmm. topic. That would be the perfect thing to talk about.
1: Yeah. What are some, I hope this doesn't put you on the spot or anything. But- <laughs> Because I am, you know, vulnerable to that myself. Uh, What are some ways you've noticed that the podcast has changed in terms of like what listeners request and what you've been interested in, what you want to talk about? What have you noticed like the changes being?
0: Ooh, that's a challenging one. I don't know how easily I can put my finger on it, but I think at the beginning of the show. We felt like we had to talk about everything, mm-hmm. like had to get as many book recommendations in as possible. And like as fun as that was, it's also stressful because yeah. then you're like, oh no, what if I'd miss something? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think as the show has really developed, it's become much more about let's talk about three or four books with more depth and like listeners recognize that it's not going to be a comprehensive look at a topic, but instead, like, here's some recommendations. You know, you may know some of these, you may not. And like, these are starting points or on topics that are sort of, I don't want to say niche, but more specialized. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to really hit the books that people who geek out about those topics either haven't yet discovered or have and are just like interested in, you know, being a fan, fan about them. Mm-hmm. So I guess those are my big, like my big observations. It's
1: yeah.
0: odd to having come back from being gone for three months as well. To be like, yeah. hmm, what did we do before then? You know, and yeah, that's true. Just also the I keep wanting to say the panorama, the panini, <laughs> the-, the panini press, <laughs> the, panini. the pepperoni pizza. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, I feel like that has also shifted what we've talked about, like. I, and I can't maybe put my finger on why or how that mm-hmm. it's shifted things, but I, I think that for listeners, and I, I see this as someone who listens to quite a few podcasts, I mm-hmm. feel like podcasts are kind of the friends that you need during times <laughs> that are <laughs> tricky yeah. or challenging. And it's like, Maybe you have zero interest in the topic at hand, but it's a voice that you're familiar with or like a a show setup that you're familiar with. And you're like, you know what? I don't necessarily need to pay attention, but just hearing these voices or this very familiar structure in my life feels good.
1: Yeah, it's like anchoring kind of in a a time of uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. I would never think of podcasts in that way but that's a really good point they can be very comforting and the the format is usually like familial like familiar friendly laid back and I totally get that yeah
0: yeah it's and it's something that I didn't think about too much until I realized like my own rituals with listening to podcasts like Mm. you know and this is especially true like on those really trying days as a new parent, where I'm like, I just, I need to hear other adults talking. And (laughs) I turned to podcasts that I like, because that's what it is. It doesn't matter what the topic is. There are things that, of course, fascinate me more than others, but it's really about that, like, intellectual stimulation, if you will.
1: Yeah. You mean you don't find baby talk intellectually (laughs) stimulating, Kelly? What do you mean? (laughs) I mean,
0: sometimes it is, but a lot of the time, you know.
1: Occasionally it is,
0: yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's it's really funny when you step away from something that you get in a routine with, like podcasting, and start to realize, like, what makes it so special and why you enjoy doing it. So I know you're only two episodes in. This is your second one. But I'd mm-hmm. like to hear, like, what do you or what have you seen evolve with this podcast? I know I'm putting you on the spot now. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's only fair.
0: I've seen, I haven't listened to um,
1: nearly a hundred episodes, mm-hmm. but I've what I've seen has been like different for like the few episodes I've listened to have, I feel like they've been different. Like I've come across some that, um, of course, you know, the book recommendations, but then I've also, I've come across some that are like more just you guys talking about like current goings on. mm mm-hmm where that's kind of like the main thing, like, you know, news and relevant events and stuff like that. There have been some, some episodes with authors being interviewed and stuff. So I don't know if I've, I don't know if I have a good answer for how it's changed.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Cause I don't know that I've, I don't know if I've listened to enough older episodes to, you know, cause I've been mostly listening to like newer ones. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know if I, and I certainly haven't listened to a hundred, but, yeah. I don't
0: know
1: <laughs> if I can <laughs> just be real with that, <laughs> you know, but I, I will say that, I don't know. I really like where it is now. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, I'm open to change and everything like that, but I like that there's a, there seems to be like a really good mix of like news and book recommendations, but not like, like overwhelmingly. So And mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's, I didn't, I haven't listened to older episodes that where you said that you guys kind of were doing I guess the most with with the book
0: Yeah. yeah
1: so I haven't heard those so for me I think I'm getting more of a like kind of a more like I guess finished product or a little more you know edited or I guess kind of polished where it's like the delivery feels really good to me when I'm in the mode of like a listener or like the audience but yeah I haven't heard too many of the of the older ones though I have to confess
0: That's that's all right. I mean, you've been at Book Riot for a month and some change like that. You haven't gotten through 100 episodes. is pretty understandable. You know, (laughs) I will say, too, that I have
1: moments where even not working at Book Riot and listening to podcasts like for work. You know, I like podcasts in general, Mm -hmm. but I also have moments where I don't listen to any podcasts at all. It's like, you know, and then I then I'm like, oh, I'm so behind, you know. We, like, will make guilt out of everything for no reason. Totally, <laughs> For oh. no reason. It's like, girl, it doesn't even matter. Why are you guilty about that?
0: Absolutely. And I, I think that we could tie that, like, really nicely back into reading. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you come and go with it. And even if it's something that you're deeply passionate about, there are times when you're like, I just don't have it in me right now. And that's okay. Like that doesn't define my reading life, but rather is just how it ebbs and flows. And you really, I think, come to discover yourself as a reader when you understand that your reading life changes all the time and nothing is permanent. You know, sometimes it might feel like you're never going to pick up another book again. And then you do. And things are even more immersive than they were before.
1: Mm. Ooh, Kelly dropping gems. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I
0: didn't think about
1: that. I, it's like you have to like take a break from it to kind of let everything marinate and mm-hmm. then pause, breathe deeply, and come back. And then it hits. It hits different, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. that. Yes, yes. Hmm.
0: That's good. Let's end on those little pearls of wisdom with our mm-hmm. chit chat. If you want to hit the first sponsor and then we'll dive right into our content. Cause we've got a good show today.
1: Yeah. I think we got a pretty good show today. Okay. Our first sponsor is Oni Press's cheer up love and pom-poms by crystal Frazier. Annie is a smart antisocial lesbian starting her senior year of high school. Who's under pressure to join the cheerleading squad to make friends and round out her college applications. Her former friend, BB is a people pleaser, a trans girl who must keep her parents happy with her grades and social life to maintain their support of her transition. Through the rigors of squad training and amped up social pressures, not to mention microaggressions and other queer youth problems, the two girls rekindle a friendship they thought they lost and discover there may be other sweeter feelings springing up between them.
0: This sounds so good. I can't wait yeah. to this
1: one. <laughs> it, is, it has a lot going on in all the best
0: ways. I'm yes. like, okay, cheerleading
1: yeah. and trans girls and lesbians. I'm like, okay, so mm-hmm. <laughs> yes to that.
0: Yeah, totally. This isn't the like, you know, cheerleaders and football players No, that there's nothing wrong with that, but it's such a like cliche look yeah. at the sport, uh, whereas this looks like a totally different beast in a, in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you want to lead off this first topic? Because this one was all you. I love it.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. So the first topic is going to be diverse um, science fiction and fantasy. And Kelly, actually, the first uh, episode I was in, episode 99, the previous one, I remember you asked, like, what was my reading, like, preferences or whatever? And I realized Mm -hmm. I really like science fiction and fantasy, actually. Awesome. Especially as far as YA is concerned. So that's where that came from. But yes. So... The first book I'm going to talk about is Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. So first of all, I love all of the covers for Elizabeth Lim's books. That might be a side note, but I think they're just fabulous. <laughs> they always like feature some really pretty Asian girl with like bright colors and makeup, and she's doing a lot in the best ways. So uh, this one in particular shows a girl with an eagle at her shoulder tailoring this golden navy fabric in the very extra YA fantasy fashion. Um, it's the first in a duology that follows Maya Tamarin, who works in her father's shop and hopes to be the greatest tailor in the land. A royal messenger comes one day with the message that her sixth father is to arrive at the royal court to compete against 11 other tailors to become the imperial tailor. To save her father, Maya poses as a boy and goes to the palace to compete, where she catches the eye of the court's magician, who seems like he knows there is more to boy Maya than meets the eye. In addition to having to steer clear of the treachery of the other tailors, she learns that her final challenge is to sew magical bridal gowns from the laughter of the sun, the tears of the moon, and the blood of the stars. There is magic and romance in this book that has been described as a combination of Mulan and Project Runway. Like, that's a, I mean. That's a heck of a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> it is and it isn't. But it's it's so good. I loved it. I'm actually reading the second one in the series now. So, again, that is Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim.
0: I'm always hit and miss on, like, those meets pitches. I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's a very early episode of Hey, YA where we talked about some that are just, like, what does that even mean? But yeah. Spin the Dawn meets, uh, excuse me, Spin the Dawn being Project Mulan meets, ooh, Project Mulan. <laughs>
1: That's accurate. Project Mulan. Let's call it that. There we go. I'm going to stop there. That,
0: <laughs> that did it.
1: Yeah, that was it.
0: <laughs> so my first pick is one that comes out uh, November 9th. So you got a little wait time on it, but it's A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger. And it is Little Badger's second YA book. It's a story that uses Lipan Apache storytelling structure to weave a story of a girl named Nina, who is a Lipan girl living in what is our real world. So essentially the world that we actually live in. And Ollie is a cottonmouth kid who comes from a world that's not ours, but is a land of spirits and monsters. He has been outcast, as that's the fate of cottonmouths in his world. And he has found a new home on the banks of a bottomless river. So Nina and Ollie don't know each other exists until there's a catastrophe on Earth. And uh, at the same time, Ollie's best friend gets super sick and their two worlds collide in ways uh, that haven't in any recent memory. The problem is there are some who would really like to keep these worlds apart, even if it potentially means murder. So this is a book with two storylines told in two completely different universes. One feels extremely like our own but isn't, and this is ultimately a story about family and land and extinction by a Native author with Native main characters, and that is A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger, out November
1: 9th. It looks really good. I actually would have added it if you hadn't. <laughs>
0: <Side note. laughs> the, cover, yeah. the cover is awesome, too. The cover is so cool.
1: Yeah, it looks so nice. I mean, the covers lately have been really nice. I don't know if that's just me, but...
0: I think that covers have really upped their game. Mm -hmm. I think as more publishers have figured out just how important they are to sell the story and also to sort of give readers a clue, like if you look at a certain book that you liked, you can tell a lot about whether you would like a book based on its cover. If it's pretty similar, like you're you're kind of going in the same genre or same voicey style.
1: Yeah, yeah. No that's a good point like just to, just them being in the same style kind of not even mm-hmm. necessarily what they're showing depicting that's a mm-hmm. good point yeah so my next book I'll talk about is A Song Below Water by Bethany C Morrow Tavia is a brown-skinned 16-year-old who uses sign language to keep her siren identity hidden if she were to let the world know what she really is she'd risk being locked away or worse Effie is her best friend, sister by choice, and someone who's dealing with childhood trauma. The girls navigate a high school life full of drama, crushes, internet fashion, icons, all that usual teenage girl stuff. And unusual for some. In a Portland, Mm -hmm. Oregon, full of all sorts of magical beings. Their lives are upended when a siren is murdered and the case takes hold of the country. Sirens with their magical voices are always black women in this story. So there is a parallel, of course, between, or I guess as you might imagine, between real life and the world in A Song Below Water. The chapters are divided between the two characters in first person and, um, as I said, draw a parallel between current day events and concerns and movements like the Black Lives Matter movement. It also explores stereotypes surrounding black people, The vulnerability of Black women and girls in particular, as well as Black girl empowerment and female empowerment. So again, that is
0: A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow. My next pick is going with a title theme, which... It's funny to think about here, but it's going to be funnier in the next segment. Uh, So this book is called Sisters of the Snake, apparently going for a (laughs) snake thing here. Um, This one is by Sasha and Serena Nanau, and the cover for this one catches me every single time I see it. We have had, this year in particular, a really cool wave of orange book covers, and Sisters of the Snake is one of them. This is the first in a duology by a sibling pair that is a false princess story, which I never quite knew that I liked those stories, but I do, um, even though fantasy usually isn't my jam. So this one follows Princess Rani, who wants to get out of her role and safely gilded cage to prove herself. Uh, Rhea, on the other hand, is a street urchin who has to steal in order to survive. So when the orphan and royal collide and discover that they look nearly identical, they make a deal to switch places, only while there's danger in their world. And they have to work together to unravel the dark secrets and keep their home safe. This one has been compared to The Tiger at Midnight. And for readers who love immersive, adventurous fantasy, Sisters of the Snake by Sasha and Serena Nanau is probably one that you would like.
1: That's another one I would have added, Kelly. Great. Taste. <laughs> <laughs> great taste. Okay. So the next book I will mention is called Labyrinth Lost by mm-hmm. Zoraida Cordova. This is the first in the series called Brooklyn Brujas. And if that isn't enough to entice you, I don't know <laughs> what is. <laughs> so Alejandra Mortiz is Ecuadorian Puerto Rican teenager in Brooklyn who would prefer to just be a normal high schooler. Unfortunately for her, she's a powerful witch or bruja who comes from a long line of brujas. When the gorgeous Brujo, or male witch, Nova reveals to Alex that she could perform a spell to finally get rid of her powers, she does it, but instantly regrets it as her family vanishes. She'll have to trust Nova again to use his knowledge of Los Lagos, the underworld, to rescue her family. This is full of wonderful multicultural Latinx representation, a bisexual love triangle, and different religions. I will say... There are animal sacrifices as part of the practices. That makes you uncomfortable, which it makes me as well. So there's that. Cordova also has a new book coming out that also seems to be about magical family lineage called The Inheritance of Orquidea Divina coming out September 7th. That is already also getting a lot of praise if you want to look out for that. Again, this book is called Labyrinth Lost and it's by Zoraida Cordova.
0: I loved that book we included it on the Summer Scares list. I think, was that the 2020 list? So not the most recent, the one before that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's got a lot of really nice horror elements to it as well. So readers who are like, I kind of want horror, but not like bloody slasher, horror kind of horror, this is a really good one. Because it's much more about the magic and the witchcraft than it is about what you might typically think of in horror. Yeah, which is right up my alley. Like, it's like horror light, kind of. Yeah, yeah. My next pick is Darling by Kay Ancrum. And the pitch for this one is so slick that it doesn't need too much elaboration. This is a queer take on Peter Pan starring Wendy Darling in an underground Chicago. So when Peter arrives at Wendy's door on her first night in the city, he tells her to join him at a party, which she presumes is a party. I mean... Seems pretty straightforward here, but she quickly learns that really it's a ploy to help her run the cities underground. And during this night, she makes friends and enemies and has to find the courage to survive. This is a darker read, leaning heavily into realism more than magic, but I wanted to include it on the diverse science fiction fantasy because we know Peter Pan as a fantasy story, but this takes it in a little bit of a dirty, I shouldn't say a little bit, quite a bit of a different direction um, in a way that is really fascinating, especially for fans of fantastical fantasy retellings. And that is Darling by Kate Ancrum.
1: Sounds really good. I'm adding everything that is on your side of the list. Okay, so the next book I'll talk about is An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir. This is the first in a series that takes place in the world under the rule of the Martian Empire, where our main character, is enslaved. She is one of the scholars, which is a group of people who are often enslaved by the Martian Empire that has ruled them for the last 500 years. So when Laya's brother is captured by a group called the Mask, she goes undercover as a slave in the Black Cliff Military Academy, a place where the Empire's soldiers are trained. Then there's Elias who is a commandant's son, but also someone who hates his life at Blackcliff and wants to run away. So the two are both kind of enslaved in their respective roles. Things change when he is named as an honorable aspirant by the Augurs, the empire's mysterious holy men. This is a thrilling, sometimes infuriating tale that comes with Arabic elements, as well as a trigger warning for some of the threats made as part of an empire led by, we're going to call them sociopaths, you know, just throw that out there. And as much as I love like a headstrong and tenacious female lead, and I really, really do, it's also cool sometimes to see one who is a little more unsure of herself. And we get to see that in Laya, You know, like not everyone is born, like, you know, hoorah, let's go get them type of thing. So sometimes it takes a little, you know, development. And that just makes more sense given her upbringing and how she's come to see herself this entire time. So this was super popular when it came out, um, I believe in 2015. So it's definitely worth a revisit or a first visit if you haven't read it. And it's called An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir.
0: My next pick is a brand new one. Just came out, I want to say the first week of July. And it's This Poison Heart by Kaylin Bayron. It's the first in a new series. And it's about plant magic, which totally fascinates me. So the story follows Bree, who has a gift where she can grow plants from nothing into something with a single touch. When her aunt dies, she leaves her estate in the hands of Bree and her family decide to spend the summer at this estate. Bree is learning to, or hoping rather, to learn to control her gift, but soon discovers that the estates old apothecary and walled garden are packed with deadly botanicals and that her family's magic is what can help solve some of the dark secrets of the land. And there's this nefarious group coming after Bree as they discover she has a pretty magical hand for creating elixirs, including one for immortality. I just love this idea of plant magic as a means of uncovering dark family secrets and also it's set at a mysterious estate, which always mm-hmm. gets me going mm-hmm. um <laughs> and yes. then it's teen discovering she has this skill for creating elixirs which is really cool and that is this poison heart by kaylin babron and it just came out second book was probably out next year
1: nice this is yet another one that i've had my eye on um, <laughs> yeah it sounds really fun it has a little gothic element with the estate mm-hmm. and everything like that it's a different take on like the witchcraft and stuff yes. with the plants. Sounds fun. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the last one I will mention today, on as far as diverse science fiction and fantasy goes, is called Prism Stalker, uh, the first volume by Sloan Leung, and this is a comic. The color palette of the comic is bright and colorful and like kind of psychedelic, which fits um, the more surreal elements of the story. It's part of the series and follows Vep, who was raised away from her destroyed home planet and lives as a refugee and indentured servant to these insectoid creatures that are her hosts. She is recruited to a school called the Academy, which is run by what's known as the Chorus. Now, the Chorus is in the practice of colonizing other planets that they determine to be beneath them, Mm. which has no you know, parallels to real life at all. None at all. No, Not at all. Not relevant, you know. So at the Academy, Vep learns alongside all different types of beings from other different planets and parts of the universe to fight the uprisings from indigenous beings resisting colonial rule. She becomes conflicted as she realizes that her only hope to save her family is to colonize a planet. Young, the author, has a mix of Indigenous identities herself, and through this comic and her other writings, she explores survival and displacement. And this comic is just like really pretty, you know, side <laughs> note. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> it's nice to look at. But that is called, it's called Prism Stalker
0: by Sloan Leung. You made me think like we should do an episode, I'm writing it down so that I don't forget, uh, of just like pretty comics. Yeah. Because I do think, I think there's something to, like, you could talk about art in depth, and there's like, there's whole, you know, criticisms and theories behind that, but there are also readers who are like, I just want to read something pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Pretty art. So I, I wrote that down. We'll do that in a future episode. It's also like the artist made it to look at. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then, you
1: know, it's supposed to be pleasurable. But Yes, that's a good, that's a good idea. That looks, that sounds fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My last one is another forthcoming book and it is We Light Up the Sky by Lillian Rivera. And Lilium is one of those authors who is among a handful I can think of immediately that has this incredible range in her writing. Like, she will write contemporary, and then she'll write fantasy. And this is a genre-blending story leading heavily into science fiction. So this one hits shelves in October, and it's a War of the Worlds story set in modern Los Angeles following three Latinx teenagers who come from very, very different social circles. So when an extraterrestrial lands in their city... The three are forced together in order to survive and warn others about what's to come. As always, we know that alien-slash-extraterrestrial stories are never about what's outside. They're about what makes us human, and I cannot wait to get my hands on this one, because I know it's going to be so good. And that is We Light Up the Sky by Lillian Rivera.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds really good.
0: Yeah. She's, again, one of my favorites. She does so many cool things in her writing, so let's hit our second sponsor and then dive into the next topic, which is also a fun one. So our second sponsor is TBR Book Riot subscription service, offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new YA books to read, but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email so there's an option for every budget. TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. So our next topic is foodie fiction because there's been uh, there's just been an abundance of awesome food themed books in the last year, and I've been starting to compile. I keep a personal database of like forthcoming books, and this is a trend that's going to continue into 2022. Ooh, that's a weird number. Yeah. To spell out Ooh, that's Ooh. not. I mean, do we have to talk about it?
1: Twenty twenty two? Like I feel a tag, Kelly. I don't think I I'm can. Sorry. I,
0: I I'm sorry. I am sorry.
1: I'm gonna have to talk to someone because
0: mm-mm. I'm the good news is I'm not talking about any books coming out then, but I mean I've looked ahead and there are more foodie books, so it yeah. seemed like the right time to talk about now. Um plus so many of these, at least the ones that I looked at, are really sort of fun. Some are heavy, but ultimately they are feel-good kind of books. Yeah. Do you want me to to go first? Yeah, you can go ahead and go first. All right. So the first one I've got um, is A Taste for Love by Jennifer Yen. And um, like I kind of played with the title of Snakes in the first section, this one is going to be love in the title for whatever that means and however it goes. This one is about Liza who to her best friends is almost perfect. She's kind and pretty. She doesn't back down from a challenge. And she has these just monster sized dreams for what she wants in her life. But to her mom, Liza is this rebellious girl who is unwilling to follow in her mother's traditional values, especially when it comes to dating. Uh, That Liza's older sister does only makes it tougher. But Liza and her mom both love baking, and when Liza agrees to help her mom at her popular bakery with their annual junior competition, she shows up only to discover that it is not a baking contest, it's a setup. Her mom has invited a slate of eligible Asian American boys for her daughter to date. So now Liza has to battle both for her mother's approval and the real feeling she's developing for one of the contestants. And also her own goals and dreams. Uh, this one's for fans of The Bachelorette, who also love food and stories of family. And that is A Taste for Love by Jennifer Yen.
1: Nice. I mean, if my mother were to set me up and like the cooking and the boys, I mean, I don't know if that's like, it's like foodie tender. I don't know if that's the <laughs> worst thing that can happen. I don't know if that's exact like absolutely the worst,
0: you know. I mean, you would know that they can cook then. Right. Exactly. And, and I don't know. Having a partner who can cook is a good thing.
1: Yes. Because sometimes I don't even want to cook for myself. So yep. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go ahead and take that. I will also say looking um some of our books, I feel like there's a, a consistent like kind of immigrant story thing Mm -hmm. running throughout too um which is interesting to think of in terms of like foodie fiction and stuff and i didn't know you know as i said the in the first episode i was in i I, i'm not super familiar with YA. i'm becoming more Mm -hmm. familiar with it and i didn't know that there was such a like a foodie genre so this is it's very it's very kind of like it's fun i like it
0: yeah i i think i mean it's been around like forever there's always Mm -hmm. been foodie books but i think in the last year so it's really increased and your observation that a lot of them are immigrant stories I think is is a really part of what makes them so compelling and so perfect for the time we're in because they do they offer such a huge way into stories of inclusivity of diversity mm-hmm. you know because you know how cool it is to eat you know I as a white person I can say white person culture is to eat ethnic, quote-unquote, foods and think that you are so cool for doing that, you know? And it's like... Oh, my God, that's funny. But but it's true, right? No, it
1: is, yeah. It's true.
0: And so... These are stories where it's like food is, is culture and it's so much bigger than getting like, you know, a stamp on your cultural passport as a white person. Like there is real deep meaning to food and family and heritage and all of these stories, even the ones that aren't necessarily about global food, they they really showcase that.
1: No, that's that's a really good point. Um, Like I think it's as you're speaking, I'm thinking like food is kind of like almost as telling about culture as like a languages like there's a mm-hmm. lot of culture wrapped up in food based on you know the environment the physical environment political environment and everything like that so it is really and I also like that the foodie genre seems to be like a lot of times it's it, it's a feel-good genre because it's like you, you know people doesn't like to eat you know so it's like yeah a lot of times it just even when they deal with heavy stuff they're they're kind of fun yeah so the first story I'll talk about about um, in foodie fiction is called A Phu Love Story by Lonely. Um, I have to start by saying I love pho and Vietnamese food in general, <laughs> <Just> backing <laughs> off of what you just said. So reading this made me want to make a trip to reacquaint myself with some dishes I haven't had in a while and also made me wonder why I don't eat more Vietnamese food more often. But anyway, so. Back to the story, it's about two high school seniors who are basically opposites of each other. Bao Nguyen is kind of chill, but steady with average grades, while Lin Mei is more fiery. They've both known each other forever, and they both work at their parents' rivaling Vietnamese restaurants. Lin's dreams usher her to pursue a life of art, and she hopes to make a career out of it, but her parents relying on her to work full-time at the restaurant serves as a hindrance. When Bao and Lin happen to meet one day, they realize there may be something worth pursuing between them. They also realize that their family's feud may be more personal than that of two competing restaurants. So it's like, hmm. This fun and mouthwatering novel shows Vietnamese-American culture, um, like we were just saying, Kelly, and what it's like to be a child of immigrants, especially that one that wants to pursue a career of creativity. And this is where I'll insert my own like little experience. My mm-hmm. dad is an immigrant, and there's definitely... Like, especially like immigrants of color, I will say your parents will pressure you. into. this is probably, you know, widely known at this point, but they t- tend to pressure you into certain career fields. And those fields are like never creative. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it definitely touches on that here too. And again, it's called A Full Love Story by Lonely. And
0: that one has a super cute cover too. Yes, very nice. Super cute. My next pick is Donuts and Other Proclamations of Love by Jared Reck and easily one of my favorite reads this year. So it's about a boy named Oscar who lives with his grandfather in Gettysburg, where he is the right hand man in his grandpa's Swedish food truck. So, Oscar isn't sure of a whole lot in life other than he doesn't want to go to college. He wants to run a food business. His grandfather's has been super successful, and as far as he can tell, it's been a real point of pride for his grandfather who fled his home in Finland to immigrate to the U.S. And what slowly unravels through the book is why his grandfather left Finland and his Swedish roots. So, Lou is this super successful, talented, academically achieving type A person And she has stepped in on Oscar's plans for just this quiet, uneventful senior year. She had proposed an independent study teacher that she could use his help on a Girl Scout leadership project, which would help reduce the waste in their cafeteria. So it begins with apples, thousands of them each week, dumped by the students, and the methane, which are released when they're in a dump, which is this huge environmental impact with such a small segment of the population. And that's that's how she proposes this to Oscar. He's reluctant, but he doesn't have a choice. He takes part in it. And we discover over the course of the year, a mega successful repurposing of the apples, a school that chooses to no longer import those apples from afar and instead source locally, and as anyone might suspect at this point, a burgeoning romance. But this is not necessarily what you expect or how you'd expect it. At heart, this is a book about grief and loss that is hilarious and heartbreaking and touches on some really big issues that play out in ways that teens really cared about. And the thing that like I loved about this is it's packed with Swedish food, including these super delicious Swedish donuts that I did not eat while reading, but wanted to eat them so badly. <laughs> and that is Donuts and Other Proclamations of Love by Jared Reck.
1: I might have to look up a recipe for Swedish donuts after oh, this.
0: It sounded so good. <laughs>
1: yes, that's the danger of reading these books. I'm I, I don't have any experience with Swedish food, but the way you described it, hmm.
0: <laughs> I would I would skip herring. Um. Yes. Unless unless fish is like a thing uh, you like. No. Nah. No thanks. <laughs> In what was it like fifth or sixth grade? We had to do this like World's Fair project and study a country and there was like one night after school you went and presented about this country and a lot of the kids would bring food and other things that represented the country and i was doing sweden with uh, a couple other people and the only swedish food i could find in the grocery store was herring so oh. i brought that and oh. i was not popular <laughs> <laughs>
1: Kelly, no, no. Is yeah. it? Was it like
0: pickled herring? Is that like yeah, what it,
1: what yeah. They, How yeah.
0: they eat it? Oh yeah. And is... like for for people who like you know uh, pickled food or who yeah. like seafood, probably like this would not be a big deal. But you know, sixth grade, you're bringing this fish that has like a real scent to it. Um, yes, that is served cold. Like yeah, yeah. I there's a reason I was never cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, you don't say not with the pickled herring, (laughs) really? Pickled herring? Oh. Oh
1: my goodness. Yes. Okay. So, the next book I'll talk about is The Secret Recipe for Moving On by Karen Bisher. So, after having to move and switch high school's junior year, Ellie found some kind of solace when she started dating the handsome hunter and was able to hang out with his friends. When he dumps her out of nowhere at the beginning of senior year, He further throws salt in her wounds when he immediately starts dating his longtime friend, Bryn. As if things couldn't get worse, Ellie now has to watch the two canoodling while in home ec class. That is, home economics class. That wasn't clear. Uh, With the rest of her classmates cheering them on. She tries to push through it and is paired with four guys who were considered some of the high school outsiders for a year-long competition making her feel even more like an outsider herself. She begins to focus on the competition and beating Hunter and Bryn's team and begins to like her newfound friends. She also finds romance, of course, in an unexpected place. The question is, will she want to pursue it after having been deceived by Hunter? So this is a fun, lighthearted romp through like high school drama and home economics class, which I have not heard of being a thing for a long time, but... (laughs) I guess it's, it's, you know, some home ec classes are still out there. Again, this is The
0: Secret Recipe for Moving On by Karen Bisher. So speaking of titles with recipe in the uh, title, that was repetitive. Um, (laughs) My next book is Radha and Jai's Recipe for Romance by Nisha, Nisha Sharma. And I really dug Sharma's last YA book because it was just fun. And this one offers even more of that fun with dance, food, and love, and this is a feel-good read. So Radha's a stellar Catholic dancer in Chicago, but when she learns that her mother's wrongdoings have cost her the biggest competition of her life, she leaves town, gives up dancing, and hopes to start anew in New Jersey. Jai is the captain of the Bollywood Beats dance group, and though he's a stellar student, lack of money means that he won't be going to medical school. When he and Radha meet, things start to heat up for both of them in ways they can never imagine. So this book tackles some heavier topics, including anxiety and panic attacks, family challenges, and the realities of being Indian in America, both what that means for making a life for yourself and staying connected to your heritage. Um, It also highlights ways class play out that isn't always showcased in way but Indian Americans in particular but again this is one that ends up being a really feel-good book uh that deals with food and just has this really bright flavor all of its own and that is Radha and Jai's recipe for romance by Nisha Sharma
1: nice I also love Indian food
0: I'll just say that uh, I love me all food food yeah I
1: love Indian food they have so many different kinds of dishes too it's just like just uh,
0: flavor that gets mm. played with is so cool
1: yeah the spices when you talk Mm -hmm. about spices yes (laughs) okay so the next book i'll talk about is called a wizard's guide to defensive baking by t kingfisher which i found out is a pseudonym for horror writer ursula vernon Mm. so yes mm is right (laughs) <laughs> so 14 year old Mona <laughs> isn't as powerful as other wizards. She can't summon lightning or speak to water like the wizard who defend the city can, but she has her own kind of more like minor magic. She is a familiar who is a sourdough starter named Bob who bubbles and pops in his greetings to her. <laughs> yes, Kelly. It's funny. It's funny. It's a funny thing. That's why. It's so, yes, exactly. His name is Bob. So, I love it. <laughs> he He's also a great source of comic relief. Perfect timing for the giggles. Yes. So one day Mona finds there's a dead girl on the floor of her aunt's bakery and everything changes. her as you can imagine she comes to find out there's an assassin roaming the streets of her city looking for other people who wield magic and she has been accused of murder on top of all of that mona uses her magic which turns out only to be good for or effective on bread (laughs) um she uses her magic to make gingerbread men scones or scuns as the brits call them and golems to help defend her city This book combines some of my favorite literary elements like magic, as we mentioned before, and murder mystery into something kind of lighthearted and obviously fun. It also gives me major Shrek vibes, probably because of the gingerbread men and just overall silliness. So it's called A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher.
0: That sounds so fun. It just sounds
1: fun. It's so fun. Yeah, exactly. It's fun, funny, and it's like, come on, like you got Bob in the mix. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. He like eats the gingerbread men sometimes, kind of because he's like, <laughs> you know, yeasty or whatever. He smells <laughs> interesting. He has an interesting smell. <laughs> so, yeast, yeasty, you know? <laughs> so, it's fun. Get into it <laughs> for sure. Mm hmm. <sighs>
0: My next and last pick for this show is It's Kind of a Cheesy Love Story by Lauren Morell. And this is the first book I read postpartum because I needed something light and fun. And this absolutely positively delivered. So Beck, our main character, was born into greatness. As long as greatness means being born in the local pizza shop's bathroom and being given minor fame, free pizza for life, and a guaranteed job at the age of 16. She can't turn the job down, even though she is anything but enthusiastic for it and for what it means for her and this minor celebrity status in her town. Beck is super not into the job and becomes quite down about her coworkers, the people who eat at the restaurant, and the place as a whole, and soon learns that her attitude isn't the only thing uh, that isn't great. When tragedy strikes the shop, Beck learns just how much her community really means to her and how special her status as the pizza shop baby really is. This was a cute, light, and fun book while also delving into some fairly like heavy topics, including class. And specifically that some teens need to work in order to help their families versus working because it's just good experience for them. Uh, It also digs into being yourself, what happens when you hit bumps in the road with long-time friends, and there is a sweet romance. And what I especially like about the romantic partner here is they push back against Beck so that she learns what it means to be true to herself rather than to play a role that she thinks people want her to play. And that is It's Kind of a Cheesy Love Story by Lauren Morell. Nice, nice, nice. So my
1: last book I'll talk about today is called The Music of What Happens by Bill Konigsberg. Okay, so it's about two boys, Max and Jordan. Max is into sports and video games. He's also super laid back, comfortable with being gay and has the support of his mom and friends. Uh, Jordan is a little different. He's totally not laid back. He's into poetry and doesn't believe he's worthy of being loved. So he's kind of like the little emo guy, you know, Um, emo poetry kid. (laughs) So because of financial need, Jordan's mom decides to start using his dad's food truck from the 80s. It goes about as well as you'd expect for some people who have no experience in (laughs) cooking, selling food out of a food truck or selling food at all and them suddenly getting an old food truck. So one day, Jordan's mom is about to lose it, kind of just have a bit of a breakdown, when Max shows up and offers to help out since he likes to cook anyway. As the two continue to work on the food truck, Jordan eventually learns that his initial judgment of Max and his bro persona isn't all there is to him. There's a much more complex, complicated character underneath. So this is a charming and fun story with two gay leads that also deals with some really serious issues like assault and toxic parent-child relationships. So I think it's interesting that you can have kind of a, you know, the juxtaposition of having kind of a lighter type of story, but also, you know, I would guess I shouldn't say juxtaposition. It's a lighter, overall lighter story with some very heavy topics, you know, dealt with as well. So again, it's The Music of What Happens by Bill Konigsberg.
0: And that would be our show thank you for tuning in this week if you have any feedback about the show you can leave it on apple podcasts that lets us know how we're doing and it helps other people find us don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters more podcasts and all things bookish including our insiders program thanks again to today's sponsors for making the show possible and thanks to our awesome audio editor jen Zink, who makes us sound really good you can follow me on instagram at hey kelly jensen and erica do you want to tell everybody where they can find you
1: Yep. On Twitter at Erica
0: underscore EZE. And we will talk to you all again in two weeks. Until then, happy reading.